and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Pastor Mark introduced me. My name is Duel. I'm the student pastor here. Um, just want to say thank you. It's an honor to get to share this stage um, with Pastor Mark, Josh, the, the team here. You know, it's, it's an honor to get to be on this stage. It's not something that I take lightly, something that uh, lots of prayer, lots of time goes into because it's, it's a, an honor to speak to all of you all. So just excited. As Pastor Mark said, we're so honored. If it's your first time, we're just honored you're here. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, we thank you. Hope that you keep coming back. We know that we love you and we want to connect with you. So fill that, for, that welcome card out because it gives us a chance to know who you are. We might not meet you on a Sunday morning. We can text you, call you and say, hey, what do you think? What's your story? That's something that we love doing as a church. And, and, and one thing that if you're newer and you might not know is that we are one church with two locations. You are clearly in the Marshfield campus. If you don't know that, let's chat afterwards. But this is a Marshfield campus. We also have our Republic campus and our lead pastors, Pastor Chad and Tasha, do an awesome job of facilitating that as a, as a whole. And so last week, Pastor Mark led a, an awesome message on Father's Day, right? He brought a message about being second mile men. And I'm here to say, and not only is it second mile men, but it's second mile people. So if you were in the room and you're like, well, I'm a lady, so I didn't have to listen. No, you still have the same commission on you to be a second mile person, not just a second mile men. Fathers in the house, men in the room. Yes, that is your commission. But ladies, it is also for you. So if you left thinking, I don't have to do that. Yes, you do. That is what you have to do. He challenged us to be second mile men and women in our friendships, in our families, and in our faith. And so if you missed that, you can check it on the podcast. It was a phenomenal word and just a challenging word about truly being that second mile person. So this week, like I said, we're going to continue our kingdom culture series. Um, We're teaching all about the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know what that is, it's found in Matthew. It's a great source. You could start reading your Bible, start there. But it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Pastor Steve, he was from our Republic campus. He came and spoke. He called it the, the Constitution of the Bible is what he said. He said this Sermon on the Mount it'd be, could be called that. Pastor Mark last week, he called it the blueprint for believers on earth. It's the blueprint for believers. Um, I would like to suggest to you that the Sermon on the Mount could be titled the Manifesto of the King. The Manifesto of the King. And don't worry for those of you in the room like myself, you're like, whoa, Manifesto? I have no clue what that word means. I Googled it for all of us, so we got it. So Google tells us that a manifesto is just a public declaration of policy. A public declaration of policy. So we're going to continue today. We're going to see that Jesus is publicly declaring what living on earth as believers should look like. What kingdom culture looks like on earth. You could even say it like this. It's heavenly living brought to earth. Heavenly living brought to earth. So if you're taking notes, I just suggest maybe you jot this down, that in the Sermon on the Mount, the things Jesus is teaching on are not suggestions for believers, but expectations from believers. I'll say it again. In the Sermon on the Mount, the things he's teaching on are not suggestions, but they're expectations for what Jesus has for believers. They're expectations. Y'all ready for a good word? Everybody ready? Hey, I'm ready. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, say, I'm ready. All right, now look at your other neighbor, the person you don't like as much. Tell them, I'm ready too. Hey, let's jump into it. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. This is Jesus talking straight to you and I. This is, this is the Word of God. It's living and breathing. And then when we approach the Word of God, we need to approach it as if it's being spoken directly to you. Because it is. It's a, it's a living thing that God is still speaking through and to all of us. 
every single day. Hey, if you're there, say I'm there. Come on, I'm a holler back preacher. So if you're just get used to this, I'm going to be asking you to talk a lot. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16, don't worry if you don't have it. We got magical Bibles behind me. So it says that you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a blanket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Hey, let's pray and let's jump into this. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your words. I thank you for this, 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 this passage that we get to look at today, God. I pray that, that as we read through this and as we try to learn from it, it wouldn't be just people hearing my words, God. It would be you speaking directly through the, to them through your Bible, through your words, God. I pray that I would remove me from the equation and Holy Spirit, just use me as you would. And I pray that we leave here changed. Everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so I have a question for y'all. And I need you to be transparent with me for a moment, okay? How many of you in the room would say that there is a food you just don't like? Be real. Just shoot it straight. Come on. If you ain't raising your hand, I know you're lying in church because we all got things we don't like. Okay, so Amber has this weird affinity with like cooking things that I just don't care for. Okay, I'm more of a fan of the fudge round, honey bun, (laughs) fruit gusher. That's just my appetite per se. Amber likes things like vegetables and fruit. And it's just odd. And so she is cooking a specific vegetable at one time. It's called a Brussels sprout. How many of y'all have ever had a Brussels sprout? Okay. So she's like preparing it. She's like, they're going to be so good. And I'm like, no, they're not. But she's like, they're just going to be great. Just, you have to just try them. So she's got these like sitting on a pan like this upside, like down, even I think. And she's pouring stuff on them and she's putting oil or whatever on them. And she's putting them in the oven and she's, these are going to be so good. You're going to love them. And I'm being the good husband that I am. I am a good husband. I like, I'll try it. I'll try one. I'll do it. I'll open-minded. I'm going to try this out. It's going to be horrible, but I'll do it. So I, she, they get done. They're out of the oven. Oh, these are going to be so good. She's never made them before, I guess. I don't know. She's really hyping them up or she just knows I probably won't eat them. So she's hyping them up. And I'm thinking, maybe they are good. Like, maybe these things are like the best vegetable ever. And so she's getting them out of the oven. They're on the table with all the other foods that I probably don't eat either. And so I, she's like, Wait, are you just going to try one? Yes, I'll try a Brussels sprout. I'll do it. I'm just going to try it. So Brussels sprout going in. I tried it because I'm a nice person. Who chooses to eat Brussels sprouts? Those are horrible. It was horrid. I mean, it was, I couldn't dump enough salt on it to even ever make it taste good. How many of y'all are with me? Who likes Brussels sprouts? You all need Jesus. I'm just saying, like, because Brussels sprouts are not the Lord. I think Satan invented that stuff because they're just horrible. They got no taste. But, you know, I'm just saying they're not good. Amber, she still makes them. I still don't eat them because they're just not good. Because I'm not about to mess up more than once. I'm not trying those again. But I had salt. I did everything I could to make them taste good. But I just couldn't do it. In Psalms 34, 8, it says, taste and see that Brussels sprouts are no good. Amen. Oh, that is not what it said. I'm sorry. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
it's funny to me because I, we see in the scripture that God is using these vivid senses that all of us have. We all, well, hopefully all of us, if you've had COVID, maybe you can't taste yet. I'm sorry about that. But we all can taste and see, and these are vivid senses that our bodies, we can do. It's something that we can do. We can wrap our minds around it. It's not this outside the world thought that, oh, I can't taste that or I can't see that. It's not this crazy thing. We almost all can do these things. So I'd like to pose a question for you today. How can the world taste and see if we aren't being the salt and the light? How can the world taste and see that God is good if we're not being the salt and the light of the world? So today I'd like to just break this message down a little bit because I believe that when Jesus speaks, we should probably listen. And these are his words. So we're going to break it down and see what we can learn from what he has to say. So Jesus is speaking and he says, you're the salt of the earth. I don't know about you all, but as soon as I read that, I instantly think about how Jesus gave us salt for our McDonald's French fries. You ever had a McDonald's fry without salt? It's not good. But when you put the salt on there, they're heavenly. Like Jesus sends out salt to the earth for McDonald's. That's what it's for. He gave it to us. Can I get an amen? Come on. Y'all, come on, preach with me today. Y'all know you love McDonald's French fries. Everybody, even the people who work out like McDonald's French fries. But for real, so we look at this scripture and at this time, salt had three purposes. There were three main things that salt did in the times of Jesus. I want to bring about a little bit of deep theological revelation today for y'all. Just a couple things I'd like to suggest. Number one is they didn't have fridges when Jesus was around, all right? They did not have a fridge. I know that's pretty deep. So salt was how they preserved their food. So first off, salt is used in preservation. It's being pre preserving things. I know that's deep, right? But Jesus, in Jesus' time, there's no fridge, so they had to use salt in order to preserve their food so it wouldn't go bad, so it wouldn't be wasted. Salt was how they preserved it. We live in a day and age where we as believers are called to be preservatives in people's lives. You're like, Pastor Joel, what's that mean? We are called to preserve what the Word of God says about us. And every day and age today, the culture is telling us that there is no such thing as absolute truth, there's no such thing as things that we have to believe, but that's not what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me that the Bible is 100% truth and it's still relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's still relevant. We are called to set the tone in society. Come on, core value number two here. We're called to set the tone. We're not called to be like culture. We're called to shape culture. We're called to preserve what the Bible tells us about culture. If we don't know our word, how can we preserve it in culture? If we're not getting in our word every day and reading the Bible and what it has to say about who we're supposed to be as be believers who live in a kingdom culture mindset, how can we preserve it? We're called to be the salt of the earth. And that means we're called to preserve the things that God has deemed holy and deemed true. We are called to that. If you're taking notes, I suggest you jot this down. As a believer, you're called to preserve the truth that is God's word. Without knowing it, you'll never be able to. Without knowing God's word, you'll never be able to preserve the truth that it is. All right, so we see in step one, salt's a preservative. I believe all of us in the room would agree salt is a preservative. The second thing salt was used for in Bible times, it was used as an antiseptic or for the sake of alliteration, as a protectant, right? Preservative, protectant, and you're tracking with me now. English teachers in the room like that I use the word alliteration. <laughs> but when you had a cut, 
salt was helpful. It would help to help clean it and keep it from getting infected. If we're called to be the salt of the earth, that means we're called to be protectants. We're called to help heal wounds. This is both for spiritually and physically. Because in my Bible in John 12, 12, it tells me, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. I don't know about y'all, but I don't know that the last time that I remember praying for somebody in a physical need and I saw a healing. But it tells me that I should. It tells me that I have to believe and I have to have faith because it says anything that Jesus has done, I can do and more. I have the power to do more because of Jesus. So if we want to be salt, we're called to be, then we need to be healing people and not hurting them. We need to be healing people and not hurting them. We've heard Pastor Mark say from this stage many times that hurt people hurt people, right? I would like to suggest to you today that salty people save people. Salty people save people. And we're called to be the salt of the earth. We shouldn't be walking around powerless, just going through life. We should be walking around with power knowing that I'm the salt of the earth and I'm called to pray for that need and God's going to meet it. Not by our power, but by God's power through us. The Bible tells me in John 12, 12, that I'm going to do greater things than Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to see that. I want it to be a part of my life. I want to be a salt that says, oh, okay, I want to pray for that need. And I can know that God's going to do it. Not by my will, but by God's. We should be seeing miracles. We should be expecting that God is going to intervene when the doctors say there's just nothing left. We should see these things as the church. We have to become protectants. So we see salt's a preservative. We see it's something that protects. And the last thing about salt is, in Jesus' time is that salt was used for seasoning of food. Can I get an amen on those Brussels sprouts? I need some salt. Salt was for seasoning. Obviously, I don't think I really need to go into deep detail on what that looks like, right? Seasoning, I think we all understand what that is. But I want to ask you this. What kind of aftertaste do you leave? What kind of aftertaste are you leaving your environments with? Like I said, the Brussels sprouts, I couldn't put enough salt on them because they're just horrible. But what kind of aftertaste, what kind of aftertaste do you leave? We don't, leave, we don't want to leave that same bad aftertaste in people's minds about Christianity that Brussels sprouts left in my mouth. We want to, we want to, we want to leave a group of people leaving them better than when we, when we showed up. I, I say it like this. When you leave a room or a group of people, what taste are you leaving with them? What taste do you leave when you leave a group? You say, oh, Pastor Joel, you don't understand. You don't understand that that, that person, they wronged me. They, they, they stabbed me in the back. They took that promotion that I was supposed to get. Oh, Pastor Joel, you don't understand that that person, they just cut me off in traffic. Oh, Pastor Joel, you don't understand that, that, that I'm, I'm not close to them anymore because they've, they've screwed up one too many two times. I don't know about y'all, but Jesus is still there for me every time I screw up. Jesus is still there to say, hey, I got you with wide open arms every time I mess up. What aftertaste do you leave behind when you leave a room or a group of people? I'd like to continue further on in this passage and look at what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15. It says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. How many of you guys have ever heard the song? This little light of mine. Come on, I'm not the only one who knows it. I'm gonna let it shine, right? We all have heard that song before. And if you have it, 
I apologize. You did not have a great Sunday school experience when you were a kid or a vacation Bible school because everyone knows the song, This Little Light of Mine. So I know here's another deep theological moment for you guys. In Jesus' time, there was no electricity. I know you guys are going to leave here thinking, man, I had some earth-shattering facts to give them. But there was no electricity in Jesus' time. There was nothing. So in this time, the only form of light would be a lamp or a candle, right? That's the only forms of light. And see, during the day, I, what I love about this, this analogy that Jesus gives us is that during the day, maybe in like our bright times, our good times, because it's light out, no one's lighting a lamp. There's no need because the daylight's here. We have it. But lamps would be lit in the dark times. Lamps would be lit in their homes at, at night. And like I said, the beauty of this analogy is that it shows that light is invasive. Light is, is, is best seen in the darkest places. Light's best seen in the darkest places. As believers, if we want to affect people and change their lives for the better and help them, our lights are best shining when they're in their darkest moments. When they're in their darkest moments. Some of you guys are tracking with me, I hope. So he said, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said, you. Everybody say me. Come on, everybody say me. me. Now everybody say, I'm the light. I'm the light. This is something that you have to own. This isn't something that Pastor Duel, Pastor Mark, Pastor Josh, or anybody else can do for you. It says you are the light. Not Pastor Duel is going to be the light in that situation. Not Pastor Mark. Oh, I got to call Pastor Mark because we need some light in here. No, you are the light. You're called to be the light as a believer of God. It's you. You are the light of the world. Everyone say, I'm the light. Maybe your coworker just told you about that divorce that they're going through. It's your job to be that light in that situation. Or maybe your aunt just got that diagnosis that just doesn't seem great. You're the light in that situation. Yes, Pastor Duel, Pastor Mark, Pastor Josh, all of us want to be there, but you're called to be the light because I can't just be the light in every place. If you have a, ca a candle, it can only light up so much area. No matter where it's at, it can only light up so much area. But if we all are shining, if we're all being the light that God's called us to be, then we can illuminate all of the dark places in all of our lives and not just some of them. It's in people's darkest moments that as Jesus is imploring us to shine bright, invading those moments. Shine bright for those people because that's when they need it the most. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We are a light of the world. Jesus is calling us. He's imploring us, be the light in someone else's life. Be the light in their lives. Kim, if you don't mind to come. So I'd all that to say this. Us being the light, us being called to be the light, us being called to be the salt, it's not for our own benefit. This isn't just so that we can look good. It isn't just so that we can say, look what I did. It's so that we can read in this passage, verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, but this last part's the important part, so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. It's not so we can say, oh, look what Pastor Duel did. It's not so that we, we don't do wheel fed so we can say, oh, look what Destiny Church does. That's not the purpose. Our job as believers, our job as a church is to shine a light in the community that's shining bright so that we can point people to Jesus. Not point people to us, but to Jesus. That's our calling. In the kingdom culture, Good deeds are how we should live. Not to boast that we've done anything, but that the glory of God is our motive. 
tells us that in that scripture, that the glory of God be our motive. Letting all that we do point to the goodness and glory of God in our lives. Everyone say good deeds. Come on, everybody loves good deeds, right? We all love it. So the word good in Greek actually has two, it's two words. And the first word is agathos. I hope I said it right. I'm not a Greek person, so. But this means good in quality. So like an example would be, oh, this is good carpet. Oh, that's a good drum set. Oh, you're a good chair. You're sitting in a good chair. That's the word agathos. That's, but that's not the word that is used in, in, in this time. But the word that is used is, is kalos. And it means all of the things that I mentioned. It could be describing a good thing. But it also means attractive and winsome and beautiful. And that's the word that Jesus is using here in this text. He's saying that, that your good deeds, your attractive deeds, your beautiful deeds, the purpose of those deeds are they're attracting people to God. That's the purpose of the good deed. It's not so that we can boast that we did it. It's so that we can attract people and win people over to God and so that they can spend eternity in heaven. That's the purpose of the good deed. So it says, let your good deeds shine. So like I said, it's not so that we can say, oh, we're doing good things. Do I believe that it's right that we do good things as a church? 100%, we should be doing good things. We should be meeting needs in a community. But it's not what Jesus is telling us is the most important. He's telling us that the good deeds we're doing, the reason we're doing them is to attract people to a love that they've never seen before. To attract people to a God that died on a cross for them. To attract people to a, a Jesus that says, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about your past. All I care is about you. I don't care that you you were out doing that last night. That's not a bother to me. I still want you. Jesus is a love. His love is a winsome love and an attracting love. And when we do the good deeds we're called to do, people are automatically attracted to who Jesus is. Like I said, it's not to point back to our lives, but to point everything back to who God is. I'd love to close with this quote. It's from a, a guy named Brennan Manning. It said, the, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but walk out the door and, to, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The greatest single cause of atheism, the greatest single force pushing people away from Jesus, away from the love that Jesus has, isn't Jesus. But it's us believers who are saying, yeah, I love Jesus on a Sunday morning. And then on a Monday morning at work, we're back talking and trash talking the coworker who we don't like. The greatest cause of atheism and people being forced away from Jesus isn't Jesus. But it's the, it's the flesh in us. It's the believers who say, yes, I love Jesus, but I still want to go party on a Saturday night. Oh, yes, I love Jesus, but I still want to talk bad about that person. Yeah, I love Jesus. We can't have it both ways. We as believers can't be out here on a Sunday and on the opposite side on a Tuesday because the world sees it and the world's watching and the world needs us now more than ever. As I said in the beginning, culture has shaped things in ways that God never designed it. But when we accept our job as believers and we begin to shape culture and we begin to push people towards Jesus because of the good deeds we're doing so they see the love, 
It's not because of us, but they can see Jesus in us that they begin to say, oh, maybe, maybe this Jesus thing is legit. Maybe this Jesus character is something I should look into. Maybe I should say yes to my friend who invited me to church, even though they were just talking bad about that person, because we're learning and shifting our perspective and shifting our culture. It's our job as believers that we must be on mission always. On mission always. It's not just a cute saying, but it's something that we have to live in kingdom culture. We have to embody this with not only our lips, church, we have to embody it with our lifestyles. Because if we're not embodying it with our lifestyles, it's just lip service. In today's culture, today's world, see straight through it. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.